Electric Soil Podcast. Imagination is the electric soil of creation. Okay, welcome back to Electric Soil Podcast. Today's guest is the founder of Procabulary. Take control of your life one word at a time. Check them out at procabulary.org. Procabulary builds fun, simple, and easy to use tools that'll help you discover direction, purpose, and turbocharge every goal from the smallest task to life's biggest dreams. He's also the head coach of Enlifted Certified Coach Program, so check them out at enlift.me. He has helped thousands of people better their lives with how they think and how they speak. He is my guest today, Mr. Mark England. Mark, how are you doing today? Uh, doing very well, Matt. Thank you for having me on. Oh, I really appreciate you on uh, coming on the show. So uh, I want to mention too, I, it, just through the emails back and forth we had, it uh, looks like you have a goal, a fairly lofty goal, in fact, of uh, hitting, uh, hitting up a thousand podcasts as far as being the guest on a thousand podcasts. And from, uh, from what you mentioned, I think we're at uh, 245 right now with uh, you coming on the show today. Correct. Yes. Uh, I've done two since we were emailing back and forth. Um, so we're now at 245. Um, I fly to Austin, Texas this week to do five shows. Nice. Uh, I, I like, I like numbers. I like, I, I, and I like doing things. I like repetition. Okay. Um, if I have a superpower or if I have some superpowers, one of them is that I'm good at repeating myself and enjoying repeating myself. And I, I clocked it a while ago that part of my role with, with Enlifted and the coaching community is to repeat myself a lot over a long period of time about one single thing. One of my, he was a business partner at one point in time. He's a, he's a colleague and very cool guy. He, uh, uh, he called me a one trick pony and I was glad that he did. Really? There's, okay. there's just, oh, hell yes. Cause that makes shit simple. Sure. Sure. And, and that to me is, is, is worth more than gold simplicity. And the one thing that I talk about is that our words influence us for better and for worse. And a lot of people, a lot of people's language is working against them. Absolutely. They don't even know it. No, for sure. Let's, let's get right into that then, actually. I, I, uh, I mean, we're talking about vocabulary. What can you tell me a little bit about um, sort of what, that, uh, what this company means to you? I mean, you touched on it a little bit there. How did it cut, sort of come to be? Just a little bit of the origins and, uh, and a little bit uh, just about what pro, the, the current state of vocabulary, if you would. Sure thing. So uh, 2002, I was a competitive kickboxer and MMA guy in college. Uh, and a lot of my friends were turning pro. That, that was the goal, the dream. And I decided to take a, um, an interesting side avenue towards that. I moved over to Thailand in 2002, and I was going to stay over there for a year, practice up my, uh, sharpen up my Thai boxing skills, and come back and go pro. And that's exactly what didn't happen. With hindsight, thank God. Mm. I mean that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Almighty everything. Uh, and six months into that move, which was a big move for me at the time, Matt, I'd only had my passport for a couple of years. And, you know, both my parents are from Virginia. It was like, you know, a couple of weeks paid, vac- a couple of weeks vacation in the summer. Moving to a foreign country, which is exactly on the opposite side of the globe, is Richmond, Virginia, suburb where I'm from. It was a big deal. 
And um, six months in over there, I had my second knee surgery, jacked up my knee. Doctor said, sorry, homie, it's over. You could become a very good swimmer, which is exactly what was really exciting to me at 26 years old, swimming laps in a pool next to some geezers, you know, way to, way to, really, way to really crank up the vibe, you yeah. know, yeah, get yeah. Me pumped. Because that's what I was picturing. Yeah. And darkness descended, dude. Uh, and I labeled, which, of course, I labeled that situation at the time proof, evidence. I now have definitive evidence that I'm a loser and I'm doomed to fail and that there's something uh, foundationally wrong with me. I went for this big thing and fell flat on my face so much so I'm not going home. I lived over there for 10 years. Yeah, lived in Bangkok for five years. I was an elementary school sports teacher at an international school. Great gig. And then the second five I'll get into in a second. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't laugh for a year, dude. Wow. Because I had such an entrenched and inflamed victim mentality. The story I was telling myself about the situation – and I was blaming everybody for it, the training partners and just the whole situation, life itself. I threw my parents in there for genetics and for good measure. And now I got uh, – I hope I can drop F-bombs on here. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, straight fucksville in my head. So much so that I couldn't get – which is a very stressful place to live. And when someone stays in a stress response for a prolonged period of time, that becomes home. As in the breath just gets stuck in the upper chest. It's very hard to enjoy your life when your breath is trapped in your chest. It's hard to feel good in your skin. It's also hard to laugh, okay? Yeah. Because you're just you're stuck. You're tight. And um, after a year of me doing that, thank God I realized, oh, hey, I can keep telling myself this story for God knows how long. And I look down that path 20, 20, 30 years later, like, am I going to be bitching about this when I'm 55? I was like, if, if, if that happens, bro, if you let that happen, and the conversation in my head was not as clear as it is and, and simple. It was, it was clunkier, and I still got to the same destination that if I'm complaining about this when I'm 55, then I am that loser that I'm afraid that I am. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Like the jury's still out. And if that happens, then the jury's not out. It's, it's fact. You suck. Sure. So interesting. Around that same time, um, I went down to – I had some you know, four months paid vacation doing that, that school teacher job. And my assistant principal had come back down, had gone down to this cleansing resort, this detox resort. You go down there and pay to not eat and take these weird detox pills and shakes. And there's a bunch of people doing it. And and you come back lighter and brighter, or at least that's what the story was. And I'm like, you know what? I'll go do something weird like that. So I did. And I kept going back. Because it was it was a way for me to participate in my life different, and I I, I accurately assessed. I was like, I got to do something different here because this 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 is I'm I'm suffering. 
So the third time I go down there, this is in 2003, there's a man by the name of Barry Musgrave who turned out to be my first mentor in this work doing a workshop on emotional detoxification, which I laughed at the name, me and all my wisdom. Sure. I still went though. And what I saw captured my attention. He was talking about words and stories and identities and the victim mentality. And he asked if there's anybody that's you've got a story you've been holding on to. And this woman just stuck her hand right up. What's the story? And it was, it was, it was a, a story of a legitimate stinger of a breakup. So this, uh, we have beach week in the States. It's where everybody go, whether in high school or college, you go down to the beach with your friends and everybody's got a number of houses and it's, it's an alcohol fueled, uh, circus. And this girl one night, her boyfriend hooked up with her best friend in front of everybody and then dumped her the next night in front of everybody, man. Yeah, that's rough. That's rough. That's rough. That's that's <laughs> yeah. That's a legit ouchie. Yeah, yeah. And and she's telling the story and she's crying and pissed. Cool. Tell that story again and change these words around. She did. Went through the story. Now she's sad. No tears. Tell that same story again. And he adjusted the wording that was forcing her to take it personally. And so she saw the thing different. Mm. And now at the end, she was essentially neutral emotionally and was like, you know what? That guy was actually pretty weird. It wasn't going to work out anyway. And I'm watching that and I go, that's not my story, but that's my story. Right, right, right. As in the mechanics of it, the process of storytelling. Mm. And God bless this line of work, it, it captured my attention that night. You know, attraction's not a choice. We don't get to choose what we're attracted to. And it captured my attention that night and it has held it since. So that was 17 years ago, almost 18 years ago. Uh, I went and studied some with, with, with some people about how to facilitate story work and hung up my professional uh, – I went pro Julian, January 17th, 2007. Okay. And I've been full-time in the game since. Beauty. And that – yep. And wow. that was also down in, in – at that same spa. So I kept going down there, befriended okay. the – and this, this leads us to the state of procabulary and lifted today because my business partner is a very big part of the story, a guy named Adam Chin, which I also met down there at the spa. So I started as one of the practitioners and met him the, the first week I was down there. So I've known him 14 years. 2014, we meet up in Thailand again. He's half Thai, half, half American uh, from North Carolina. Funny, funny dude. And we talk about what I was doing. And he goes uh, – he comes from a, a prestigious sales training and personal development background. And he goes, you know, man, if we make some adjustments here, this, this could be a business. 
I said, cool, let's do it. So we shook. And we launched the Procabulary online course um, 2015. That's been out in the wild since. And through a series of events, you know, which I can, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting story and long story short, we started certifying coaches in 2019 through the Enlifted brand. And that's been our, almost our sole focus uh, as far as our time, attention, and revenue. And it, I'm the happiest cat in the world, dude, because I get to teach something that I'm uh, extremely grateful and passionate for. So I teach, I do all the certifications, I teach all the classes, and you know, I'm a teacher, I've got a degree in education, so this is two great worlds collide for me, and I have a lot of fun doing it. And we've been very fortunate to attract very cool people into our community. And the community is a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a something. I mean, the coaches, a lot of coaches hang out with each other. Shit. We, there's a festival next two, two and a half weeks in Oregon, southern Oregon. It's basically packed full of enlifted coaches. I'm going, going to keynote the thing. Man, awesome. Um, Super awesome, yeah, and it, it and it comes back to the to the reality that if we here's one of my promises for your listeners, if you make, if you learn to make, because it's a skill, it's educate. Everything we talk about is education. If you learn to make a few seemingly minor adjustments in your language, a lot of cool shit is going to happen downstream from that. Now that's a powerful statement. I I love that. Um, that's fantastic. Sorry to cut you off. I had to hop in there though. Oh, do that it. that do sounded, it. that's wow. That's like a, almost like an elevator pitch right there. That sounds fantastic, man. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Very strong. And we, and we teach people about the words, what words to use less of and why, and what words to use more of and why we speak definitively, Matt, on the language patterns of the victim mentality and what to do about it. So, the definition, I'm going to take a little bit out of the middle. The verbatim definition of the victim mentality. The victim mentality is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. That last sentence is right between the eyes, right where it belongs. The victim mentality depends as in it has to have a habitual thought process. Habitual accurately implies duration because it takes a while to get that thing entrenched. And once it's entrenched, it, it, of course it can be done. And without the proper tool, the know-how and the know-to, it's not going anywhere. Habitual thought process, habitual duration and addiction. I was extremely addicted to my victim mentality, mm-hmm. and um, which, which, which was the lens that I saw myself and the world through. So, yeah, I guess a lot to sort of unpack. This awesome, love, love all the answers there, and just uh, kind of the description. Thanks for the like the long form of kind of where you are with vocabulary and everything. Fantastic. When you're talking, to, yeah, when you're talking about say, the, uh, the victim mentality, do you find though, I guess, 
when people are coming to you, they're ready to release that. They're ready to they're they're at that stage where they they're ready to acknowledge that it is a problem for themselves. What do you what do you can what can you tell people that want to hold on to that? You know, at one point you did want to hold on to yours as well. Mind you, you you came you snapped out of it re- relatively quick. We're talking within a year it sounds like. But some people that if it's deeply entrenched in them and it's been 15, 20 years and it's almost become part of their identity. It's almost become synonymous with them and they don't they're afraid to let go of that now that's a whole nother layer on top of that is is it absolutely an act of congress wouldn't change that right yeah so somebody that's you think you're going to coach somebody out of their victim mentality that wants their victim mentality good luck Mm. no you're not fair enough no you're not and it it took me a year to get to the point to start working on my story and it was a process for absolute sure. It took time. And when I say it took time and was a process, I use past tense language on purpose. And uh, we're talking about one side of the fence or the other. And the other side of the fence is a vast majority of my mental real estate and the things that I say to myself my self-talk and in conversations is language constructed in a certain way that helps me stay focused on what's important to me, keep me in the game, keep my um, you know emotional gas tank high, keep the drama level down. And have I extinguished my victim mentality? No. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Does a does a vast majority of it? seem and is laughable now a hundred percent a hundred percent and you know i fell i fell in this trap kind of early on in the uh in my coaching and in my my self-work that i thought i was going to extinguish that that i thought i needed to extinguish my victim mentality in its entirety before i was going to move forward and be successful Hmm. no not at all Hmm. so imagine this you're driving a bus you've got a toddler with a, 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 a diaper full of shit and indigestion and it's screaming and crying and your hands are on the wheel and its hands are on the wheel and you're in this punch-up. No, it's you're, you take the toddler, change the diaper, burp it, give it a, a, a put it in the back seat in the kid's seat with a little etch-a-sketch and a, and a pacifier and you pat it on its head and it's going to cry and scream sometimes. Yeah. So what? You're driving the bus now. Right. Okay. 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 I got you. I got you. Yeah. 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 Cause that's a, it's, if, if 80%, if somewhere between 70 and 85, 90% of you is bought into your success, that's plenty. Mm. You're going to do some rad stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so what you just to kind of I guess paraphrase or confirm what you're saying, it isn't about necessarily removing this aspect of you, but it's being aware of it, putting it away, knowing that it's there, it will come back up, but you now know you have the tools to deal with it. It's but it, it will always remain a part of you. Is that more or less what you're saying? That's that's more or less what I'm suspicious of. Suspicious is that it will yeah. it will always remain a part of me because I've I've done a pretty uh, extensive amount of work on myself and that's still there. So I'm like, okay, cool. It's just going to be there. Sure. It's going to sure. be there. Okay. And, and so the, the, the goal is everybody is to get the damn thing under control. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is to turn the volume down on it so you can get in the arena and 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 take some risks. Bet on yourself. Go on an adventure. Have some fun. Mm-hmm. Do the things that you want to do. One of my favorite quotes, and it's true. I'd rather get trampled in the stadium than be a spectator in the stands. Gotcha. Yep. And the victim mentality turns people into spectators in their life. Innocent bystanders in their life. Mm. Oh, no, we're participating in the story we're telling ourselves. Mm. For sure. Bet on it. And, and that's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's beautiful. Love it. Now you did. Uh, you directed me to. You actually did a TED talk. Uh, I, I don't. I can't remember the year. I want to say was it t- around 2017, 2019? You nailed it. Yeah. 2017. 2017. Good. Good. And uh, not blowing smoke here. Uh, like I love TED talks. And uh, man, yours was very gripping. You are a very talented public speaker. Uh, one thing that I want to uh, give you a couple props for before we sort of unpack what you uh, what you talked about uh, during your TED talk was um, you use. Um, Obviously, obviously, we talk about the importance of language. You like to use um, almost those that those pregnant pauses to get that little bit of like drama, eh? Like I, which I liked. You kind of, you know, you kind of do a little the fo- facial reaction or something, and you let things just kind of sit there. And I love it because uh, not I don't know, man. As soon as people get up there and start doing uh, public speaking, you almost want to speed through it. And it just the fact that you're just calm, your shoulders are down, you're breathing. It uh, it was very powerful for some of the some of the uh, the parts of the story where you would just kind of let let it hang for a bit. I was just like, man, it's it's a crazy how not saying something can can be so gripping, right? I don't know how intentional that is for you, or if you notice that, or if that's something you've practiced, or or. Uh, but I guess I, I want to get into that technique uh, specifically for public speaking. Your your pregnant pause. That's that's part one. Part two also is uh, the fact you pretty much went right into what you call like in the valley, right? So oftentimes people will kind of start, uh, you know, like a TED talk or a public speaking with a part of the story, then they take you down the valley, then they take you back up. You pretty much immediately went down in the valley and, uh, and showed like the picture of the knee injury and everything, which very impactful. And again, I don't know how intentional that was, but I guess those two things, the, uh, the, uh, the use of the pregnant pauses in your, in your public speaking, how aware, how intentional. And then, uh, was that, that sort of the point about having such, such impactful, uh, starting point to the Ted talk with the, the knee injury? You know what you're looking at, uh, extremely intentional. Mm, okay. So I'm a professional speaker and a professional speaking coach on that's my side gig. Well, k- kind of. I mean, the, I've given 500 professional presentations on language, language and story wow. up until and that was my 500th. That's Ted. No that Ted I, yeah. And for I've a numbers guy, for a numbers guy, that probably that's that's big to have that. Yeah, just, it was a big deal. That. Nice. That's super cool, man. It was, a, it was a big deal. And I dude, I suck so bad when I first started doing that. That right, eh? I also knew it's terrifying when when people when you know how to go about doing the whole thing as in preparing mm. um, then again it can you demystify it with with zero training it's one of the scariest things you'll do sure so uh, my business partner he's a screenwriter oh wow. Uh, Yep. And when we got the call for that TEDx and TEDx RVA, there's 5,000 TEDx's on the planet. TEDx RVA, as far as production value, just everything, soup to nuts, they're in the top 10. 
And when we got the call for that, we had three months to get ready. And and we utilized the entire time. We spent one month. He was living in Thailand. I was living uh, in Virginia at the time. And we, we spent a month, Matt, going back and forth on the script, okay. dialing it down to a, to the word. Really? Yes. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Once we had the script ready, now I've got two months to rehearse it. Hmm. Okay? Yeah. So I own it. So when when I walk out on stage and the lights are there and there's 1,800 people in the most prestigious theater in Richmond, Virginia, which is where I'm from. Ooh. Oh, by the way, it's live streamed to 155,000 people Ooh. around the, the, the state. Man. Okay. So when I, when I hit that, yes. I'm relaxed. I'm comfortable. So I, so, and, and, and so we prepared, um, you know, I rehearsed that, that talk somewhere between a 75 and 80 times Is that right, all the eh? way through. Hmm. Yep. And, and, and yeah, the whole thing, pros own, the, they own silence. Sure. They're comfortable in silence. Yeah. I guess that's the difference, right? Yeah. So, uh, question then: Did you did you actually rehearse the silence as well? Then, was oh yeah, so- yeah, okay, oh, yeah. okay. Because it definitely, you know what? There, I think you you probably just got to that stage that you had rehearsed it enough that it still came off natural, though, too, right? Because sometimes when you over rehearse, there's the risk of um, some of the nuanced uh, emotion might just be, you know, have removed itself from the from the words, right? Uh, it comes off a little robotic, but it certainly did not. And I, so I was almost. I, I, glad you brought that up because i was wondering how much of it if there was any wiggle room for for some ad lib stuff or not but um that's uh, yeah interesting uh you know uh look into the behind the scenes of getting ready for a ted talk thanks for that that's awesome oh my pleasure man i i can i can and do speak definitively about the difference between amateurs and professionals when it comes to presenting and it's not whether you get paid or not Hmm. um and 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 to to touch on that note that you you, you mentioned that things can come off robotic or ad, and, and, and so the goal, folks, the goal, and most people, they're praying for confidence when they present, which is, of course, superior to insecurity. Mm-hmm. Guess what? There is a Shangri-La, there's a heaven on earth, and it's past confidence, and it's into comfort. Mm. You got to get your breathing low and slow in your abdomen. So when you're delivering your talks or you're going on your podcasts or you're doing your workshops, you're delivering from, from, well, from, from your abdomen. Because when someone tells a story, they present, they go on a podcast and, or they're selling, this is a sales conversation. This is also a going on a date conversation. If you want to fuck up a date, hold your breath, get your breath trapped in your chest and it'll just be awkward. Same thing when you're presenting. Everybody can tell when someone is puckered up. Yeah. I own unpuckered.com, by the way. Really? And Yeah, I really do. I was surprised that it was available. I've owned it for three years. Unpuckered.com, true story. We almost turned it into an app. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Too funny, man. Too funny. That's fantastic. And then when, last thing on that, when yeah. you breathe well, yeah. when, you're, when you're delivering from your abdomen – That is so fun. That's the thing, folks. 
when I coach people on public speaking, okay, very early on in the conversation, we identify that one of the things we're doing here is, is getting you prepared on a variety of different levels so you can enjoy public speaking. Mm. Yes, yes. Because when you're enjoying yourself up there, everybody knows that there's no way to hide it, right. nor would you want to. Mm. And your words have a certain uh, uh, base and rhythm to it. Uh, and, and it's just, it's one of the hallmarks of great storytelling. So I went to, I mean, there's, I, I do love talking about public speaking because it's one of the things that has, it, it, it has helped us establish ourselves as authorities in our line of work is that the fact that I won't shut the fuck up about <laughs> this one thing. I've gotten good at talking about it. Right. Guess what? It's the reps. I went to the International Storytellers Convention in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Cool, cool. 2019. Yeah, they haven't had it a couple of years in a row because of the, the, the COVID thing. Right. And I went there and I was – I had my suspicions confirmed that they, they brought in the best folk storytellers that they could find in the, the continental United States. And they had 5,000-person tents, 6,000-person tents. It was a lot of people there. Wow. And they had these master, grandmaster storytellers. And you know what their storytelling was like? Not sure. It was slow, slow. rhythmic, and simple. Ooh, okay, okay. Yeah. Slow, rhythmic, and simple. And look at what, what amateurs do. Their storytelling is fast, jangled, and complicated. Sure. Right. It's so easy to make shit complicated as far as story- storytelling. And you get, like you said, you're totally right. You get in that stressed state and the breath is up here and you, you get fast. Mm. And then you get faster because you're stressed. And then you're, you're like, I'm just going to talk until I get something right. That's horrible. It's, that's hell on earth. Mm. As far, and I've done it more numerous times. Died a miserable death on stage. It's really hard. To, you get good at stuff. It's really hard to come back from when you when you feel that the feel it's like it's got its grips in you, right? Especially when you mix it with adrenaline and some of the other, you know, wild cards of maybe the way that you sound on stage. There's a little bit of delay, you know, just the X factors you don't know until you're up there, right? It, I can only imagine, uh, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, some it's just the way she goes sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. I uh, I want to get a little bit into this the whole breathing part of things because I uh, for me for me personally I noticed fairly recently actually like uh, I at my job uh, it's it's very distraction laden so basically a lot of the time I got four or five things that I'm trying to quote unquote multitask and I find when I do get into that state. I, I noticed within the last year or so I completely hold my breath like if I got if I'm trying to multitask I stop breathing. And uh, I just caught myself now, and I've probably been doing that my entire adult life or close to it. And, uh, and then I'll finish up a couple things because I got three things on the go, three things in my brain. And then I take like a shallow breath. You know what I mean? And it's just I, – I also found over time that I kind of still have – like I, don't, I haven't smoked in years like I did it in my early 20s probably. But I still have almost like that smoker's breathing pattern. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just – it's shallow. So I almost have to really work on like actually focusing on that abdomen breathing. Uh, did you ever have, I guess, issues with that? Uh, and just anybody that kind of has that same sort of uh, like stress, fight or flight sort of uh, 
mentality at work and all that. What are, what are just some uh, some simple things that you can kind of do off the off the jump just to kind of start changing that? Is it as easy as just one minute at a time, conscious breathing? Uh, did you ever have any uh, things that you had to do, any tricks or any uh, you know anything like that that you can share? Oh yes, I suffered from that. You did, eh? Okay. okay. Oh hell yeah, my uh, my. Well, it goes hand in hand. Uh, stress response, victim mentality, breath trapped in the chest. Mm, okay. Okay. Yep. And then it then if it's if it's if certain stories, Matt, are repeated over and over again, which most people once they our language is an inheritance. We inherit this way of storytelling, and mm, most people's education about their language comes down to spelling, grammar, and definitions. Okay. We're not taught in school, so I've got. I went through the public school system here in the United States, and I have a degree in education. On no side, on either no, not on either side of that fence, did I have one course class or even a conversation about how to use my words to create certain feelings, Hmm. or how to use my words to build myself up in my imagination, self-image. Okay, or how to use my words to capitalize on or, uh, or, or develop my breathing mechanics. So due to a lack, of no, a lack of education about how our language is influencing us, most people get their breath stuck in their chest and keep their breath stuck in their chest. Hmm. Now, very frequently, I'm asked, what do we do? Okay, what do we do about this? And I have, which also, I have a macro answer. I have a micro answer. The macro answer is, and this is the same thing that we, we have early on in the conversation about presentation skills. Slow down your rate of speech by 20% and practice keeping it there. Hmm. Okay. This is what's going. To, this is an extremely reliable piece of advice for people that want to have a better command of their language. Okay, they want to have better rhythm and timing when it comes to socializing, also known as conversations. When someone slows down their rate of speech, the breathing will begin to descend down into the into the abdomen. It's a process. It's a. It's a. And you want that. Not only that. When someone slows down their rate of speech, you turn yourself into a better listener, mm. which is one of the hallmark uh, uh, accolades of, of a good conversationalist, someone that listens and asks good questions. Most of the time when people say, oh, that person, they're so much fun to talk to, it's simply because they're asking that person questions about them and they get the other people talking. Sure. Okay? Yeah, okay. You know, my, my dad's hillbilly is shit. And, you know, hillbilly wisdom. He says, I already know what I'm going to say. I want to know what you're going to (laughs) say. Questions, folks. Hello, what did you call it? Hillbilly wisdom? Hillbilly wisdom. (laughs) Tremendous. Oh, my God. That's awesome. I don't think I've ever heard that. uh, Those two words uh, put together like that before. It's uh, so good. (laughs) Slow down your rate of speech, everybody. And, and, And also, you'll feel it. What do I mean by it? You'll give yourself that space to feel more about what words are, are, are working for you and what words are working against you. 
So that was my, like I said, that's my macro answer Mm. to what do we do? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Which was a good answer for your particular question. Mm -hmm. And later on, we can talk about specific words to take out of your language. There's a handful of them, 10 known as soft talk keywords, only if you want to build up your confidence Mm. and your decisiveness, which are two uh, skills. Okay, so we'll talk, we'll do something called the soft talk challenge. Super, super, super easy. All of our stuff here at, at, at and, and, you know, Procabulary is what we launched with. And, uh, you know, in the next year, Matt, we're going to turn it all into Enlifted. Um, it's the brand that's got the most traction. Uh, sometimes you got to pay attention to, to, to where the fans are coming from. Sure. Okay, because that'll tell, tell, you, tell you a lot. Um, and, and with all of our, coaching and language technology at and lifted none of it's rocket science none of this shit's rocket science okay nor will it ever be because that's one of our superpowers is that we demystify storytelling Mm. we make it simple and practical as in you can practice it because that's another point too man mindset is talked about out the wazoo, phenomenal, great. We know we need to do something about it. Mindset, mindset. Got to build a bulletproof mindset. There's that person over there with a bulletproof mindset, and and you know, uh, wow, they look so confident. I know I got to improve mine. How do I do it? They're over there. I'm over here. Whoops. When you add in the conversation about, again, I'm hammering this rock. What specific? words to use more of and why and what specific words to use then mindset becomes practical and mm. is in you can practice it i can say less of these words and get a better result as in my big picture mindset and until that mindset's a it's, it's a nice conversation sure don't mind my dogs in the background. Sorry about that. Bentley and Luna, by the way. Bentley and Luna. Former yeah. introduction I'm a, I'm for I'm a dog fan, man. Are you? Perfect. Bentley the oh, Beagle yeah. and Luna's a, a Mexican uh, street dog that we rescued. So. Oh, shit. Yes. So, yeah, I, I definitely i am very intrigued by soft talk. I kind of have an idea what it is, um, and I think it would definitely go hand in hand with kind of what you're talking about with somebody that sort of rushes a story and doesn't like any space. So then they, they add, and correct me if I'm wrong here, and they add almost these like words in where the spaces would be, whether it's an uh or a like or, you know, kind of maybe. Or, or, or is that more or less what a, a soft talk is? Is that my kind of on the right page there? Bullseye. Is it? Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. Let's, 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 let's have some fun with this. Sure. Matt, give me a, give me a goal for 2022, a personal goal for 2022. So a personal goal for myself for 2022, I want to make sure that I can do a public speaking at three different events in the year 2022. Nice. Nice. How does it feel to say that? Good. Uh, So initially, there's a little bit of hesitancy because I don't want to come off like conceited, I guess. But it definitely feels empowering. Like in my body, it feels empowering to say that. Awesome. Repeat that same sentence, except put a kinda in there somewhere. Okay. So in 2022, I kind of want to do like, like three, three or four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It just deflates. We them. don't even need to finish it. We it don't just, even even need to finish it. No nah, man. What it, does that one word do to your 2022 goal? Oh man, it just deflates it. It's like yeah, wrecks it. it Train yeah, wrecks it. It does. It does. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Can we do another? Let's do another. That was that was fun. Perfect. Pick a fun. personal goal for 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 2022. So 2022, I want to travel down to Mexico. Great. Put a. Uh, hopefully in there. Oh, yes. In 2022, I hopefully want to get down to Mexico. Ah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. It is. Put it. Put in a guess. Put in a think. Put yeah. in a sort of. So, ev- all right, everybody. Yes. yes. Only uh, on, unless you're driving. Okay. And if you're driving, keep driving. Okay. Get a pen and a piece of paper. Mm. And I want you to write down on a clean sheet of paper. This is the soft talk challenge. Ooh. And if you enjoyed this this um, podcast, take a picture of that. Take a picture of it when because what we're going to do is we're going to write down these soft talk keywords. And you take that piece of paper and put it up somewhere where you're going to see it for a week. Take a picture of that and tag me on Instagram. I love that shit. Nice. So these are the soft talk keywords, and I want you to write them out five times larger than you normally write your handwriting. I'll tell you why here in a minute. So I'm going to rattle off the soft talk keywords. You write them on a clean sheet of paper. Think. Okay. Think. Guess. Okay. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. Okay. Probably. (laughs) I'm probably probably procrastinating. Oh, man. I'm bad for probably. I'm bad for probably. Could. Ooh. I think I know what's coming next. Almost like. Almost like. Hopefully. Try. Try. Ooh, that's a big one for me too. And and one day, be a two-day person, folks, not a one-day person. (laughs) And so then you take – we've been doing the soft talk challenge for years. People love it. You take that piece of paper, tape it up somewhere, just seven days, seven days. Okay. And what that's going to do, it's going to raise your awareness. Thanks again, reticular activating system, to these words. And once your awareness is raised – you're going to start hearing them in your language and in other people's language, and you're going to see them in texts and emails. Hmm. And that is the precursor to you plucking them out because there's a difference between, um, you know, I'm going to, I, I guess I'm going to do three talks in 2022 to I'm doing three talks in 2022. Huge and it's difference. the easiest place to start. It's huge because you just take out the keywords. Hmm. It's just you pluck them out. Mm-hmm. And you'll feel it immediately. You'll get a different response from people you're interacting with. This will change your email game. I promise you, you'll mm. like it. Okay. Now, you mind if I go on a 10-minute rant? Do it. Yep. Cool. 2018, my car gets stolen from Richmond, Virginia. Walk out the house. I'm going to give a presentation. I'm in my head rehearsing because that's what pros do. They prepare. Amateurs do not prepare. They die a miserable death because of it. Professionals prepare. 
So I'm walking along, rehearsing in my head. I get over to where my car was parked the night before. Oh, my gosh, it's gone. So I get my phone, and I call the police. And I say, hey, help. My car got stolen. Hold on, buddy. We're coming. And then I call my dad. I said, Dad, somebody stole my SUV. I got shit to do. I need the farm truck. So I drive out. This is in Richmond, Virginia. I drive out to Dillwyn, Virginia, one stoplight town. My dad has a farm out there. And I get one of his prized possessions, a 1985 Ford F-150, two tones of brown, mint condition. We call it brown and browner. <laughs> and I drive brown and browner around Richmond, Virginia, and in under one day, Matt, Guess what vehicle I start seeing more and more and more of uh, out and about? Sure. Your, uh, your stolen SUV. Well, that's what I was looking for. Sure. And the, the vehicle, because I, I was in a, a 1985 Ford F-150, I start seeing more and more Ford F-150s, 1985-ish, ah, all over the place. I got you. Okay, I, I follow you. Yep. You ever had that experience? Yeah. You, get in a, you get in a car and you start seeing that car out sure. and about. Absolutely. It's very common. Yeah. What's going on there, folks, is – and this is super important to understand about when we're talking about the conversation of words and language. It's a reticular activating system or RAS for short. And if you're into personal or professional development on any level – or you're a coach, or you'd like to be a coach, you knowing about this piece of hardware in your brain and all your clients is foundational. It's a must. So the reticular activating system on, on top of other things, it has a couple of, of, of functions. It has a search and an edit function. Once it gets programmed to – once it gets – once something gets programmed as important to your reticular activating system, and all that is is your attention – put on it it goes on a search and edit mission i'm going to go find more of these in this case ford f-150s right of this this make and model and then i'm going to edit out stuff that's not that so i don't remember seeing any white vans or blue beetles okay because it wasn't the thing i was looking for it was actually actively editing those things out now this has been studied deeply by social psychologists, two social psychologists. Look this up. You can see the original video on YouTube, Invisible Gorilla. Invisible Gorilla. Two socials, yep. Two social psychologists in the late 90s took seven college kids dressed three in white, three in black, and one in a gorilla costume. They gave the white team two basketballs, the black team two basketballs, and they filmed them passing the basketballs back and forward to each other for one minute. 30 seconds in, that student in the gorilla costume walks into the frame, turns, looks at the camera, beats his chest, and turns and walks out. That was the, that was the, that was the one-minute film. And then they took that film and showed it to tens of thousands of other college students and gave them one thing to focus on. They directed their attention. Magicians know this. How many times does the white team pass the basketballs back and forth to themselves? Mm. So they're staring at that. Okay. When they're done, they ask them how many times? Correct answer is 15. And then they ask, did you happen to see the gorilla? 
10% would be nuts. 50% of the population across the board for at, at any age, f- edit out the gorilla entirely. Something so seemingly obvious. Oh, and it's fucking obvious when you watch the video. Because they're not looking for it. They don't see it. Now, the drum roll question here, everybody, is does this only apply to 1985-ish Ford F-150s and students in gorilla costumes, or is, or is our language influencing our, our reticular activating system? Here's two stories, coaching stories. This woman comes in, sits down, and says right off the bat, I'm struggling in my marriage. My husband thinks I'm pretty. I refuse to believe him. I know when it got started, and I don't know what to do about it. Tell me more. She's 10 years old. She walks into her uh, a grandmother's house for Christmas right inside the door. Her great aunt is standing there and leans down and goes, My, you have a big nose, just like me. Thanks for that. Little girl puckers up, <laughs> tightens up, runs into the bathroom. Rocket science, what do you think the thing she looked – what was the first thing she looked at? Her nose, which is, of course, no bigger physically than it was 10 seconds ago. But now in her imagination, she's got a honker, which means she's ugly, and the, she emotionalizes over it, which kicks the act – the RAS into overdrive, which goes on a search mission to pick out all the other flaws. Get get how that works? Completely. And not only that, yeah, this is intense. Not only that, the reticular activating, it starts pimp-handing anything that's not your ugly. Hmm. Which, which, wow. which, so her husband gives her these comments, baby, you look good tonight. You don't mean that. See how that works? You yeah. think that's going to get in the way of, of, of some things? Sure. Folks, think, think in terms of spells here. The definition of a spell, Webster's, not mine, is a word or a combination of words of great influence. That's it. And there are spells that constrict and compress and create heavy, dense energy. Ugh. Trap the breath. And then there's spells that do the exact opposite, which is create space and levity and expansion. Here's the and, and so that's the an example of a constrictive spell, a combination of words that greatly influenced that little girl's life for a long time. And then there's expansive spells. 2014, I'm doing a workshop. This guy's setting up right next to me. He heard the whole thing. Comes up to me, goes, Man, that was awesome. Want to hear a cool story? Who says no to that, by the way? And uh, I go, yeah. He's 12. His grandpa takes him out in in the backyard, and we'll just call this guy Davey. I forget his name. says, little Davey, life's life's a trip. There's going to be zigs and zags and twists and turns and ups and downs, and you're going to get some things right, and you're going to get some things wrong. Just always remember to err on the side of being a badass motherfucker. Grandpa dropped an F-bomb on him in the right way. And he said, my life changed in an instant. Hmm. He said, 
I just got bigger, like energetically. He said, I looked up and saw myself in my imagination as, as confident and capable. I took a big breath in and he goes, man, I've made a lot of mistakes, but you know what? I go after what I want and I learn as I go. And I enjoy being me. So our language, folks, it can work against us and it can work for us. And I, I, I suggest making a few seemingly minor adjustments to your words and watching what happens. Have an experience for yourself. Don't believe anything I'm saying. Go have an experience for yourself about your words and your language. Approach yourself as an individual. Scrutinize your story. What stories are you telling yourself about yourself that are holding you back and making you buy into to weakness and, 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 and a telephobia, which is the fear of not being good enough? And what stories are, um, are you telling yourself that, that, are, that are more aligned with you becoming the kind of person that you want to? Nobody's going to change your story for you. No one's coming. There's no one coming to save us, all right? And I'm, I'm, I'm hammering this rock twice on purpose. Address yourself as an individual. Address other people as individual. Getting into groupthink, group politics, identity of politics, where if, if you fall into this particular identity group, you have to act in this certain way. That is going to steal your creativity and a lot of your magic. I highly recommend giving that not a second thought like contemplate it because there's three levels of thinking there's thinking thought i gave it a thought i gave it some thought you thought about it in one ear out the other you considered it you sat with it for a little while and then there's contemplation that's where you stare at something until its secrets are revealed Mm. be a person that contemplates things Mm. and you'll 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 make you'll come to your own best conclusions about things and get your breath under control man you'll love it man Mic drop, like that's all of that. That was all fantastically. I don't, yeah, great stuff there, Mark. Thank you so much for sharing that. Some Pleasure. great stories. Thanks for having me on. Oh, for sure, for sure. I got a couple of quick uh, other questions for you before you uh, before you take off. If you got a little bit extra time there, absolutely. This is what we do. Beautiful. Uh, so I sort of at the end, and I've noticed it's on your email signature as well. Towards the end of your TED talk, you mentioned abracadabra. We've kind of mentioned the, the, the tricks that magicians use. Most people would uh, would would uh, sort of associate the word abracadabra with you know the the rabbit out of the hat, but you have a very different sort of I guess story and a sort of a presentation of abracadabra. And I'd really like you to share it if you if you don't mind right now. Yeah, I, I know where that comes from because someone told me in 2012, and it changed many a thing for me. So I was living in Ecuador. Uh, at the time, went out to dinner with some friends, and this guy at the end of the table, he knew I'm in the language game, and he goes, hey, Mark, you know what, you know what abracadabra means? And I said, I said, yeah, magic. And he goes, no, no, there's a lot more to it than that. Abracadabra is Aramaic, and it translates to with my words I create or with my words I influence. I had a moment. I really did. The hair stood up on my arms and the back of my neck and I put my fork down and I went over and sat next to him and I said, tell me everything you know about this. And abracadabra is, is Aramaic. Look it up. And which is 
the language the original Old Testament was written in. It's still spoken in some parts of, of Mesopotamia. And the, the teachers of the day, they would triangulate it and wear it around their neck to remind them of the power and the mechanism of the spoken word. There it is, yes. And to dispel negativity. Dispel means to cast out. Oh, wow. Yep. And they knew this is this is this is my business card, by the way. No it's way. wood. Yeah. That and is on the back. Man, not and that lifted. Ass. So good. Phone number. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's the best business card I've ever seen. Yeah. A wooden uh, our, yeah, exactly. Right? We got a we got a we got an app team and our project manager, Eric Blackwell, is a woodsmith and he he made these. I got a hundred of them. No way. That yeah, is, two, two, yeah, and so that's the a, kind of business card somebody's not going to just you know toss in the recycling bin after they met you, right? They're going to keep that exactly, one, right? Exactly, yeah. And I'm going to be selective of who I give these to, of course. So it's yeah. a good two way street. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. These things are two fifty a piece. Well, there you go. You're not just handing those things out, are you? They're special because it's it. it this is this this right here. Kids love this, by the way. Everybody. You got some kids. Imagine. Teach them about abracadabra, and and get your kids, especially if they're under 10, doing a wins journal. So I've been coaching for 14 years now. I've coached a lot of parents. Wins journal. What's a wins journal? On each page, just one win per day, per page. Doesn't matter what it is. I tied my shoes. I got a B. Um, I went to soccer practice. And what that'll do is that'll train their reticular activating system to identify their wins, which over time will they will identify themselves as winners. Mm. The the enlifted definition of a loser is someone who stares at the losses. Mm. Mm-hmm. The definition of a winner is someone who stares at the wins. First thing my driving teacher taught me when I got when I got in the car when I was fifteen and a half, three quarters year old. I'm forty five now. Look where you want to go because you're probably going to go there. Mm. Yes, and the the. They, they knew that if their language was working against them, shit was going to be harder than necessary. Okay, there's enough life challenges and weird, you know, surprises and things. And getting your language working for you, again, staying focused on the things that are important to you, keeping the drama down, and, 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 and being a good listener. I mean, show me someone who does that for 30, 40 years, and I'll show you somebody who's successful. Sure, sure. No, I hear you on that. I, uh, I'm, I'm glad. Just I'm going to quickly uh, piggyback on something you said. That just the words, the, the keeping the drama down and all that. And it's going to, uh, I, I want to kind of bring in my own experience to my own language. I am definitely guilty of, uh, after you maybe uh, write down some of these uh, this soft talk uh, words here. Uh, so try, you know, probably. I've always used it as what I've, my intention, I guess, with it was to kind of make it, uh, make myself a, my presentation a little more agreeable, a little less, whether it be arrogant, whether it be, um, you know, a little too assertive, right? So I've almost intentionally used them to sort of temper my presentation, if that makes sense. So it isn't necessarily, so so it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's, it's a, a lack of confidence, but I've used it as a tool to kind of, unfortunately at times, uh, maybe come across, um, I guess in such a way, less more confrontational. There we go. Yes, less confrontational. So, I guess what would you say with that? Where it's kind of a different, it's you know, a, a different use of these soft words. 
uh, a different intention, I guess, behind them. Uh, what can you say to somebody, I guess, for, for what can you say to me about uh, yeah. removing them? And uh, with, with that in mind, knowing that like I'm trying to do it to just basically, you know, keep everything kind of an even keel. And that's sure. why I'm glad you said, you know, keeping the drama down. That's kind of my intention with it. So where is that? Where do you kind of meet that in the middle, I guess, would be my, my uh, question. Good question. There will be an adjustment phase. Okay. And the, the thing here, it always comes back to us. When you're, ble- when you're breathing well and speaking solidly, as in you're comfortable with what you're saying, mm. that's going to be how it's received. Okay. 95% of the time and the other 5% of the time, screw them. Hmm. No, that's good. Again, simple, but uh, completely makes sense. Completely makes sense. Okay. I like that. I like that. One other thing too, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. You sort of mentioned it as far as language being somewhat that somewhat inherited, you know, somewhat Mm. almost genetic, right? It gets passed down. Way to pick up on that. Right. The way that it, it... our, our parents communicate, our grandparents communicated to them. It does get passed down to us to a degree as well. Right. And even with a story about the gal with the, you know, what she perceived as the big nose after her, you know, grandma had said something about that. So how much does that factor in? And is it like dependent on family? I guess, what can you, this, can you unpack that a little bit? Cause that's a very interesting, but fairly intense uh, subject, I think as well. It is, it is an intense way and interesting way uh to look at language and and storytelling so you know i mean i grew up in virginia we speak english or at least in my house we did still do and it comes with a certain sound to it i have something called a southern drawl it's slight and all of those things i never gave any thought to Okay, it was simply how words were used. Until I started paying attention to what's coming out of my mouth and what's ping ponging around in my head, it was it was just it was the way it was. Now, think about language, everybody. It is so such a part of us that. Language is language acquisition is as natural to human beings as walking. We don't think to learn to walk. We just start doing it. We don't know what we're doing. You ever watch a baby learn to walk? They have no idea what they're about, what they're what they're what they're doing. And it's I'm going to learn this as soon as possible because mm. the world's going to open up to me. Ah, yeah, okay. And yeah. it's it's the same thing with the words. Babies, as soon as they're blinking, they're staring at these big creatures making these sounds as soon as possible, putting two and two together. And start we start repeating what we think they're doing. Sure. They're making sounds, we're making sounds. Right. And we don't know why we're doing it. Okay? We don't know what the end result is. Hmm. I mean, can you imagine what that that's a spooky thing to think about that as soon as we can start connecting these dots, we're going to put together this, this formula of storytelling that's going to inform 
how we see ourselves and the world. I mean, how deep does that go? I have no clue. Right. And, you know, you take me. I, I told my niece this once because <laughs> the look on her face. I said, I knew you before you knew you. Mm. I could have taken her and put her in the middle of Mongolia, this little child, as soon as she was born, and she would have learned to walk over there, and she would have learned to speak over there in Mongolian, and she would have told herself a different story. It would have sounded different. There would have been different nuances. It would have been that she would have had a different outlook, okay, mm-hmm. if we want to get all Warfian about the conversation, and we do. <laughs> is that language influences how we think? Okay, it's a feedback loop, right? So, yeah, do the soft talk challenge and then argue against it. Uh, seeing it as an as, as this thing has been rolling down the generations for God knows how long this, this, and it it evolves as it goes, but it's this rolling thing that's going to roll through us and we project it forward into the, into the coming generations. Yep. And that's a pretty good why as to make some improvements to it. So you, you hand off a better ball than you got. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's powerful, man. That's yeah. It's an like inter- I said, spooky. It's like the right kind of spooky. Yeah, <laughs> right. But it's so it's yeah. It's uh, I'm I'm fascinated by that kind of thing, right? Because like how much of it is um, you know what I mean? How much of it is predetermined to a degree, and then how much of it is in your control? And you know, we've kind of talked about it here, and and I I guess just to kind of come full circle to some of the beginnings of our conversation here, it's all about keeping it simple, right? Because it's easy to get. Su- little bogged down in some of these uh, the details or the concepts and all that. But bottom line is, regardless of who your you know parents were, grandparents are, you're you and you have control over your speech and the way that you present yourself, right? So, and that's kind of what you're, uh, what you're here to, uh, to point out to us and to your students and, and everything. So uh, honestly, everything just so fantastic. I really appreciate it. Fantastic interview. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Mark. And uh, I'd love to have you back now that we've kind of got the, uh, some of the introductory stuff and maybe we can just kind of riff one day and just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, some of the stuff that you like, the, the, you know, with the, uh, the conversation and the, uh, the words and all that, and maybe do a little bit more of the word games. But uh, thank you so much for your time today, Mark. Yeah, happy to, Matt. Thanks again for having me on. Thanks again, everybody, for listening and, um, and considering. And uh, absolutely, Matt, I am a very easy person to get on a podcast to talk about uh, uh, the difference between amateur and professional presenters. Ooh, there we go. You that's, know, a, that's, that's a solid hour conversation. You know what? I think we have our, our next episode and we'll definitely do that. So we're at 2.45 now. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll hit you down the road when you're closer to the, you know, maybe the 400 mark or somewhere in there. And uh, good luck on your next five shows. It sounds like you, you got that coming up this upcoming weekend, is it? Yep. Oh, beauty. Yep. Beauty. No, that's good. That's good. And yeah, powerful speaker. I'm glad you're getting the word out and, and uh, get, you know, keeping your chops up and all that, doing all this. So it's just fantastic. Thanks for sharing it with my audience. 
And aside from that, where else can we find you? We kind of went into proca uh, procabulary.org. We got in lift.me. Uh, anything else? You got your uh, Instagram account or anything you want to uh, uh, shoot out there to the people as well? Yes, please. Instagram, Mark England 2057. It's a, it's a free language school, a little bit of entertaining stuff. Beauty. Uh, we do a free class every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. Called Tuesday Night Live. 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Those calls are, those classes are, they're, they're all just posted on my Instagram page. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of free information there, and it's fun. We have a good time over there. Fantastic. So that's your kind of your hub almost in a sense as far as social media is concerned. Go to that Instagram. Correct. Running. Beautiful. Correct. I nuked Facebook about six <laughs> months ago. Oh, I've good been crying you. ever since. Right, no, right, yeah, kidding. yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks so much, Mark. And yeah, we'll talk to you sooner than later, I'm sure. Thank you, Matt. Thanks.